friends, this is Tess from the future. Um, I just came in, swung in to tell you, please be patient with this podcast. The first episode is kind of rough. It was recorded over the span of a couple of months, unfortunately. And also in that time period, there was a lot of stuff happening. I moved, stuff was going on with COVID and just all kinds of stuff. The podcast is going to be a lot better. From here on out, hopefully the sound will be consistent and I have a better grasp on editing and all that wonderful stuff. So for the meantime, this first podcast is rough, but it is great, okay? Titanic conspiracy theories are freaking awesome. You're going to have a great time. So cuddle up, grab a cup of tea, I recommend. Perhaps a lemon ginger tea. And relax, sit down, and enjoy some Titanic conspiracy theories. Back to Tess from the past. Welcome to the Telegnosis and Tea podcast with your host, Tess. This is the very first episode. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to finally be recording this because this has been in the process for quite a long time now. And not only... Oh, it's my paper like rustling in the background if you hear that. Not only am I excited to be recording my very first podcast, but the story we're covering today is something that I am so, so interested in. Um, we are covering, you already saw in the title, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. We're covering the tragic sinking of the Titanic and conspiracy theories surrounding it. Because as with every great disaster, there's a lot of different tales about why it really happened as opposed to uh, the information that we have about why it happened. So, before I begin, um, I'm going to give the background of the Titanic, what the Titanic was, because, I mean, that's super interesting as well. And I'm then I'm going to give my own personal connection to the Titanic before I go into some of the cool theories about what really happened. Why did the Titanic sing? Was there... Some sort of haunted curse on the Titanic? Was the Titanic used for insurance? Was it even the Titanic at all? Or was it an entirely different ship? I guess we'll never really know, but we're going to dive into those today. So, let's start. As a background, the RMS Titanic, RMS meaning Royal Mail Ship, was a British passenger liner operated by the White Star Line. Her maiden voyage was from Southampton, to New York City. She was the largest ship afloat at the time uh, that she entered service and was the second of three Olympic-class ocean liners, which were operated by the White Star Line. Olympic-class ocean liners were their newest line of boats. They were supposed to be the most fancy, the largest on the water, and it wasn't until um, after the Titanic was made, that they decided to be called the o- Olympic-class ocean liners. The Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland, at the Harland and Wolf Shipyard. At the time, the Harland and Wolf Shipyard had the contract to build all three of the Olympic-class ocean liners, and the Titanic was the second being built. The first ship that was built for this uh, class of ocean liners was actually called the Olympic. The Titanic was to set sail at high noon from Southampton on April 10th, 1912. It was supposed to go to New York City, however, it sank on April 15th, 1912, 
It hit an iceberg at 11.40 p.m. ship time on April 14th, and by 2 in the morning, it had sunk. The cost to have made the Titanic would be $140 million in 2016. The White Star Line was competing with Lunard, their main rival. Lunard had built the fastest passenger ships in service at the time when they were competing, so the White Star Line chairman, J. Bruce Ismay, decided to compete with size over speed. So they created these ocean liners to be complete luxury. These ocean liners were going to be the most beautiful. They wanted to be complete hotels over water. They might not get you there the fastest, but they will get you there the most luxuriously. Luxuriously? She was 882 feet 9 inches long and 92 feet 6 inches wide at her widest spot. The Titanic measured 46,328 gross registered tons, which would be the total internal ship weight. On its voyage, she held what is estimated to be 2,224 passengers and crew. For reference, the largest cruise ship in the world now is the Symphony of the Seas, which is 1,184 feet long and 216 feet wide. The Symphony of the Seas can hold a whopping 6,680 passengers and has a 2,200-person crew, whereas the total capacity for the Titanic was 2,453 passengers and a crew of just 900. It was still a large crew, though, for the time to try and keep this large ship running. The Titanic could hold 883 first-class passengers, 614 second-class passengers, and 1,006 third-class passengers. However, if it was not at capacity, as you can tell, since 2,224 passengers and crew is significantly less than the well over 3,000 people that it had the potential to hold. The Titanic had 10 decks, 8 for passengers, which from top to bottom were the boat deck, which had the lifeboats, the A deck, which was for first class and was also the promenade deck. B deck, which was also for first class, extra fancy, and was called the bridge deck. C deck ran from stem to stem. It was called the shelter deck. D deck was the saloon deck. E deck was called the upper deck. F deck, middle deck, and G deck was the lower deck. Those are way less exciting. <laughs> there was also a deck on the lowest level, but it was used for car it had cargo space it had boilers had an engine room passengers would not have ever seen this deck this was just for crew there was another deck as well the orlop deck so there's two decks that the passengers would not have seen the orlop deck and the tank deck those were just for crew the rms titanic as you can guess from the royal mail ship name it carried mail under contract with the royal mail and united states post office department Many people don't know. It was more than just a passenger liner. It also was a delivery ship. The interior design was like a hotel. One passenger even said, when boarding the ship, you at once lose the feeling that we were on board ship and seem instead to be entering the hall of some great house on shore. The first class had a seven-foot deep saltwater swimming pool, a gymnasium, a squash court, and a Turkish bath that had a steam room, a cool room, a hot room, a massage room, and an electric bath. What is an electric bath? 
besides sounding absolutely terrifying, it was the very first version of a tanning bed. So, it was a bed of lights. Kind of the the very, very early version. First-class common rooms were large and lavishly decorated. Incredibly beautiful. There was a lounge in the style of the Palace of Versailles and an enormous reception room. Huge. There was also a men's smoking room, a reading and writing room usually used by the women, and an a la carte restaurant styled like the Ritz Hotel and run by Gaspari Gatti, who is a famous Italian restaurateur. If I said that name wrong, my apologies. The Café Parisan was decorated like a French sidewalk café, and it was, it was not included in the ship price, it was for extra. But it was right next to a restaurant which was serving the finest French hot cuisine. There was also a veranda café, with tea and light refreshments and a view of the ocean. The largest room on the ship was the dining room. At one time, it could sit almost 600 passengers. In third class, which is also called steerage, it was not as nice as first or second class, of course. I'm sure that listening to this, you guessed that. However, it was significantly better than other any other ship on the water besides the original Olympic, which was also one of the Olympic-class ocean liners. But... White Star Line was the leader in making third class, or steerage, a nicer place for travel than all its other competitors. Other ships at this time, you would usually have hundreds of people confined in open dormitories, basically just an open room, some bunk beds, and there was never adequate food or toilet facilities to suit the number of people in steerage. What the Titanic had, and what White Star Lines provides, was third-class accommodations that had two sections at opposite ends of the vessel. One was for single men, and one was for single women, married couples, and families. While other ships at the time had large open sleeping areas, the Titanic had private cabins that could accommodate two, four, six, eight, or ten passengers. Third-class also had their own dining rooms, open deck space on the poop deck, at the stern, forward and after well decks, and a large space on D-deck which could be used as a social hall. Many other ships at the time did not give third-class passengers decks, so having multiple deck space was another added like bit of luxury on the Titanic. There's also a smoking room for men, and a general room on C-deck for women to use for reading and writing. This was far, far above average. Leisure facilities were provided for all three classes to pass the time. This included a library, smoking rooms, and a gymnasium. Passengers very also commonly socialized on deck. One activity that was absolutely my favorite thing to learn about was a passenger list was published before sailing to inform the public which great and good people were aboard. It was quote-unquote not uncommon for mothers to use this list to identify rich bachelors to introduce their uh, quote-unquote marriageable daughters to during voyage. As well, aboard the Titanic, and keep this in mind, I got a little star beside this for, um, keep this... Keep this in front of your noodle. This is something that's going to come up later. There was a staircase. It was one of the most distinctive features of the Titanic. It was built out of solid English oak, and it spanned seven decks, from the boat deck to the E-deck, before coming to a simplified single flight on F-deck. As well on the Titanic, there was lifeboats. However, 
The Titanic carried a total of 20 lifeboats, 16 wooden, and 4 inflatable, which would only be able to carry 1,178 people, which was a third of the total capacity of the Titanic. The Titanic had the capacity to carry 64 wooden lifeboats, which could house 4,000 people, way more than the Titanic's capacity. However, this was more lifeboat accommodation than was legally required. At the time when they set sail, they were only legally required to cover a small amount of the people that they actually were carrying. So the fact that they had 20 lifeboats was more than they were legally required to have. Even though it absolutely would not have covered all the passengers aboard the ship. Before we get to uh, how the Titanic sank, or how the officials say the Titanic sank, here is some interesting tidbits. The area that it sank is now known as Iceberg Alley, a tough spot to get through and absolutely full of icebergs to this day. The most expensive cargo that was reportedly lost in the sinking of the Titanic was a neoclassical oil painting entitled La Cirque... Ooh, ooh, my French is not amazing. Alright, I am sorry if you're French and listening to this. An oil painting entitled La Circassienne Aubaine by French artist... Mary Joseph Blondel worth, at the time, $100,000. In 2014, that would be about $2.4 million. It depicted a life-size young woman bathing and was from 1814, and was painted in 1814. As well, another interesting tidbit, Edward Smith was captain. He was captain of the Olympic prior to being captain of the Titanic. Also keep this at the front of your noodle. This is going to come up later. Now to the part that we all know. The sinking. As we know, the Titanic hit an iceberg, split in two, and sank. It was supposed to arrive in New York at Pier 59 on the morning of April 17th, 1912. During the time that it was afloat on the ocean, it was warned that there was an issue with ice from other ships. Other ships reported that they sent out these alerts saying there's more ice out than usual, to be careful, to take it slow. However, the Titanic went full steam ahead, intending to get to Pier 59 on time on April 17th. Often, close calls with ice was not uncommon. Boats even had head-on collisions with icebergs. In 1907, SS Wilhelm, a German ocean liner, rammed headfirst into an iceberg, but still completed voyage. On April 14th, at 11.40pm, starboard struck an iceberg, creating holes below the waterline. The hole was not punctured by the iceberg, but dented, which made the hull seam buckle and separate. Five watertight compartments were breached. The ship could not survive more than four being flooded, so she began sinking bow first. The crew had been completely unprepared to handle evacuation. There was no briefing, there was no introduction to how it would run. If the ship started sinking, the crew didn't know what to do. And they didn't. The officers didn't even know the capacity of lifeboats. They didn't know how much provisions were on it, how many people could fit in the lifeboats before it was at capacity. So that meant that most lifeboats were filled with less than half of the people they had the capacity to be able to carry off of the Titanic when it began sinking. Of course, third class was left to fend for themselves, meaning that Many, many people became trapped when the Titanic began to sink. It is true that women and children were first. Women and children were put onto the lifeboats first, and men were helping them onto the lifeboats. The ship broke into two main pieces 
when the unsupported stern and propellers rose up out of the water and caused the middle seams to collapse. By 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, the ship had fully sank. The remaining passengers were plunged into water that was minus 2 degrees Celsius, 28 degrees Fahrenheit, so all succumbed to the water within 15 to 30 minutes. Only five people were helped into lifeboats, even though the lifeboats, being less than half full, had room for almost 500 more people to be able to go into them. Distress signals were sent from the Titanic. The closest ship to respond, the RMS Carpathia, arrived on scene at around 4 o'clock a.m. on April 15th. The SS Californian was mere miles away. However, it did never it never got the distress signal. It had previously warned the Titanic about the ice. The SS Californian had ob- observed that rockets were being blasted from the Titanic as it was sinking, but they were not able to see the sinking. They were just able to see these distress flares. So, the ship sent Morse code in response to see if the Titanic, to see if the Titanic that was flaring these distress signals would respond. But as there was no response since the ship was sinking, the SS Californian decided to just continue on its way. That is the basic of what we know. There, I mean, there's so much information when it comes to the Titanic. With all the information that there is on the Titanic, you could absolutely have a full podcast just about the Titanic. But for now, that's a good background history to, uh, to what's on it. Hopefully you learned something. In total... 710 people survived and were taken by Carpathia to New York. At least 1,500 people lost their lives. In the aftermath of the Titanic, it took the Carpathia three days to reach New York. She passed on the news by wireless that the Titanic had sank and they had picked up the passengers. However, it got confused and initially it was believed that on the 15th of April, the Titanic was being led to port by the SS Virginian. Later that day, it was clarified. Carpathia docked at 9:30 p.m. on April 18th in New York's Pier 54, where around 40,000 people were waiting in heavy rain. Relief for the surviving passengers was provided by the Women's Relief Committee, the Travelers Aid Society of New York, the Council of Jewish Women, and many, many more people provided shelter, clothes, food, opened up their houses to the passengers. And as a side tidbit, this one I found interesting, the Pennsylvania Railroad had a special train to take survivors that lived in Philly there for free. I just found that interesting. Go Pennsylvania Railroad. That was nice of them. Afterwards, after the Titanic sank, there was numerous lawsuits and investigations, which I will talk about later, but there was so much information out there when it comes to lawsuits and investigations, and everyone was doing their own thing, and there's like a million different stories. You could absolutely do a podcast just on on the Titanic and like the investigations that were done afterwards. Crazy! Okay, that is the background. Uh, now for the fun part about, you know, the cons- why it happened. Or why it really happened. Let's find out. The very first theory we're going to be covering is the burning coal theory. So the basic of it is a fire in the coal bunker weakened the steel close to where the iceberg struck. So, as a fact, there was a fire in the coal bunker. However, this was common for the time. Fires would spontaneously break out in the coal bunkers and they could burn for a long time. When it comes to the Titanic, the fire in the coal bunker could have been burning for three 
weeks prior to setting sail. More likely, it was burning for 10 days before setting sail. However, no matter how much time beforehand that it was burning, it was ignored and it was not mentioned for fear of bad press and wanting to keep the ship on schedule. When investigating the shipwreck, there was found to be a 30-foot black streak on the outside of the Titanic's hull. It was found that the fire that was burning in the coal bunker could have reached a total of one thousand degrees celsius that's 1832 degrees fahrenheit survivors of the titanic that had worked on the ship's engine said that the coal fire caused the wreck they were certain of this at the time the new york tribune wrote an article about the fire in the coal bunker and blamed that for the sinking of the ship for weakening the steel seams and for that being the real reason why when it hit the iceberg it buckled like it did in 1912, there was an inquiry by British officials that associated the coal fire with the sinking of the ship. So even in an official inquiry, that's what it was blamed on. They mentioned that when a German liner had hit the iceberg in 1907, years prior to when the Titanic hit its iceberg, the German liner, liner was fine and it continued on its journey. This is unfortunately the beginning and the end of the burning coal theory. Um, scale of 1 to 10, is this possible? Absolutely. Even the people who were working on the engines of the Titanic said, yeah, there was a coal fire in the bunker. A lot of what I read was um, people saying that it was at least 10 days that it was burning before the Titanic set sail, and some of them said that it was possibly three weeks burning before the Titanic set sail. Some other reports said that they had just managed to get the fire under control before the Titanic sank, basically the same day of. Is it possible that a 1000 degrees Celsius fire weakened the steel, making it more vulnerable to buckling under hitting the iceberg? Absolutely. And that's in my opinion. I don't know much about steel. I don't know how much it holds up to stuff, but 1000 degree fire is a very hot fire. That's insane to me that that can be burning on a ship for that long and it doesn't just like take the whole ship down. So do I th personally think from my very limited knowledge of welding that having that fire going and going and going would weaken the seams? Absolutely. That's why I'm saying that this burning coal theory is the highest conspiracy theory. I think it's the one that absolutely would probably be the most likely out of all the conspiracy theories we're going to look at, but I'll leave that for you to decide. So the next theory the next conspiracy theory was coined by Robin Gardner in the book Titanic, The Ship That Never Sang. This is the Olympic Exchange Theory. The long and the short of it is, the ship that sank was actually the Olympic, Titanic's sister ship, disguised as the Titanic as an insurance scam. The Olympic was the first of the Olympic-class ocean liners, and it set sail in October of 1910. The exterior was almost identical to the Titanic, minus the number of portholes and the spacing of the windows. Both the Olympic and the Titanic had linoleum floors, but two weeks before setting sail, the captain made all of the linoleum floors in the Titanic be covered up by carpet. The Olympic and the Titanic were built side by side. If you go to our Instagram, you can see some pictures of both being built side by side. They look identical. In 1902, the White Star Line was bought by IMM, the International Mercantile Marine Company, a company owned and operated by J.P. Morgan, 
who was a famous financer of the time. White Star Line chairman, Jay Bruce Ismay, got permission from J.P. Morgan to make three, what are now known as, Olympic-class ships. The Olympic, the Titanic, and the Britannic. The Olympic was first to be built, and construction overlapped with the building of the Titanic. After the Olympic set sail, it had four successful voyages. However, on the fifth voyage, on September 20th, 1911, it collided with Royal Navy warship HMS Hawk. Numerous eyewitness accounts blame the collision on the Hawk. However, official investigation led to the Olympic being blamed for this collision. The HMS Hawk was a reinforced ship. It was designed to cause maximum damage to enemy ships when it rammed into them so it caused great damage to the starboard side of the Olympic. This caused a permanent list to port, which is important to remember. Because the Olympic was to blame, White Star Line's insurers, Lloyd of London, wouldn't pay the Olympic to be repaired. The Titanic was already behind schedule, and this would lead to a huge loss of profit for White Star Line. This is where the theory comes into play. The Olympic was patched and was called the Titanic, so it could be on the water faster while the real Titanic would quickly and quietly enter service as the Olympic. The Titanic had a list to port side. Many survivors of the Titanic sinking noticed this list to port and recalled it after the wreckage. All pieces of the ship, as they were built in the same shipyard by the same company, by the same company, by the same company, everything inside of the ship was interchangeable except for a few pieces that would have been engraved with the ship's name. All of these pieces, besides the ones engraved, were standard White Star issue. However, the bell was engraved with the ship's name, as was the nameplate and the compass and a few other pieces. When the Olympic was hit, the ship was beyond repair and could not make the journey all the way back to shore. When the Olympic was hit, it would not be able to make the journey across the sea again, and this was known. So was the Olympic being used as the Titanic as a way to collect the insurance on a brand new ship? It was noted that boats were nearby and able to help the Titanic when it was sinking, or the supposed Titanic. However, these boats were carrying supposedly rescue equipment. The theory is, why would these boats be so nearby, kind of waiting if they didn't know that this wreckage was going to happen, and why would they be carrying rescue supplies? Is it likely? Is it a coincidence? Is it not? This also hasn't been backed up, so they did say that, yeah, there was boats nearby and they had this rescue equipment on it, and that seems fishy, but this wasn't actually confirmed, so... It's hard to say whether it was actually true that there was boats uh, there was boats nearby but whether these boats had rescue equipment like food and uh bedding and that kind of stuff that would seem pretty fishy but it also seems like something that maybe someone could cover up. So here are some of the things that I find particularly interesting when it comes to proving the Olympic exchange theory. These are things that kind of make the theories seem pretty real. So first of all, Florence Ismay, which was the wife. She was the wife. All right, it's been a long week, as you heard from the beginning. This is, uh, this is where I'm picking up at my parents' house and, uh, you know, trying to get back into the swing of things. So Florence Ismay, wife of Bruce Ismay, canceled with kids due to illness. She was scheduled to go on the Titanic. However, last minute, cancelled because she said her kids were ill. However, when she cancelled due to this illness, she actually went on vacation elsewhere, and her kids weren't reported being sick on this other vacation. 
As well, more than 50 first-class people canceled last minute, including J.P. Morgan. 50 of the people that canceled last minute were largely friends and business associates of J.P. Morgan. Why did he cancel? Well, he canceled as well due to illness. However, he was found later on a French resort during the time when the Titanic was sailing. And he was found with his mistress. Before the ship sailed, J.P. Morgan had put on several valuable bronze statues onto the ship. Right before the Titanic set sail, he ordered these valuable bronze statues be removed before setting, before setting, taking off, setting sail. What do you say when a ship takes off? Other coincidences. A large proportion of engine crew refused to sail. This would have been a very huge opportunity for a lot of engine crew. This was a famous boat line. They would have been making a decent amount of money, but a large proportion of engine crew just flat out refused to sail on the Titanic. As well, there was no public examination before the voyage, and the press were not allowed to enter the ship. This seems weird, as when unveiling new cruise ships, especially if you're pushing the luxury of the cruise ship, you would want some sort of press coverage to show the inside of the ship, or have someone comment on how luxurious it really is, especially when you're in competition with the other cruise line and you're trying to win through having the most luxurious boat. Having press coverage or having a public examination would help show that you are indeed creating these luxurious ships. Weirdly, the Titanic cost, nowadays, $7.5 million to build. It was only insured for $5 million, so they would have lost money insuring it but this hasn't been able to be backed up, as the insurance papers, they're confusing. They're hard to find. After the Titanic sank, what happened to the quote-unquote Olympic? Well, the Olympic went on to serve 24 years, continuing to be a cruise ship. She was called Old Reliable. Based on the amount of damage, there is really no way she should have ever been able to sail again, let alone for 24 years without another incident. On the Titanic, there was a room called the Olympic Room. There was superstition around changing names of rooms on a ship. Was this the Olympic Room that was the same room that was on the Olympic? All of these ships were Olympic-class cruise liners. Was it just named after being an Olympic-class cruise liner? If you look at the pictures of the Titanic, and I'm going to put this picture up on our Instagram, there's a large area of discolored plating that's not quite the same color on the front of the Titanic where the Olympic was hit. Why is this area discolored? We have no idea. And why is it discolored in the area? And that's the same area where the Olympic was hit and where the Titanic buckled. The Olympic had a flat wheelhouse. When the Titanic was built, the Titanic had a curved wheelhouse. When the shipwreck was investigated, the wreck had a flat wheelhouse. Coincidence? Even more, there was no name engraved on the bell. This was unusual, as White Star Line ships always had the name of the ship engraved onto the bell. As well, White Star Line ships had the names of their ships engraved onto the sides of the boat on the hull. The Titanic had a nameplate riveted on top. Was this to cover up the name of the Olympic? My favorite is that the lifeboats that were on board the Titanic had RMS Olympic plaques on them, so were obviously taken from the RMS Olympic, unless they never left and it was the Olympic that sank. The Titanic should have had its own lifeboats with their own plaques. As the Olympic went back into service, 
new lifeboats would have had to have been made for RMS Olympic lifeboats to be on the Titanic? That seems weird. One sailor on his deathbed admitted to the switch of the Olympic and the Titanic. He spoke of when the Titanic went down. He was one of the crew that managed to survive. When they, upon reaching land, a bunch of men took the crew and held them for questioning. They were detained and they were forced to sign agreements that said they would not talk about the switch between the Titanic and the Olympic. Many people have tried to debunk this, whether he was really a sailor or not, but this man maintained that he was part of the crew for his whole life, and saying this on his deathbed, he really had no reason to. As well, the Titanic had a very unique cafe and dining area that was not aboard the Olympic. This could have been changed, but it seemed to have been built right into the ship. As well, so the Olympic had additional steel plates fitted into bed plates of the engine. What that means, I'm not sure. However, we know the Titanic did not. The wreck that was at the bottom of the ocean did not. So what do you believe? Was the Titanic that sank really the Titanic? Was it actually the Olympic? What I find most interesting and most compelling is the Olympic went on to serve 24 more years after extensive damage that was almost irreparable. Was it actually repaired? We may never know. And now for our last theory, which is my absolute favorite theory because it involves curses, but not just curses. Egyptian mummy curses. This is the unlucky mummy. The curse of the unlucky mummy? I don't know. It's just called the unlucky mummy. Anyway, is this what sank the Titanic? Let's find out. Some people have said that the Titanic sank because of a mummy's curse. The story goes like this. In the late 1890s, there was a rich young Englishman who was visiting an archaeological dig near Luxor. They had dug up a coffin and a mummy, believing it to have belonged to the Princess Amun-Ra. This rich young Englishman bought the coffin and the mummy and was set to have it shipped back home. However, he never returned home. He mysteriously disappeared. Some sources say one day he woke up and he walked into the desert. He just kept walking and never returned. With him, he had brought three people. Of the three companions that the rich young Englishman had brought with him, all suffered on that trip. One died of mysterious consequences on the trip and never made it home. One was shot in the arm. He ended up having to have the arm amputated before getting home. And one lost his entire fortune in a bank failure. After he got home, he passed away from poverty. When the coffin reached England, a businessman who was interested in it bought it. When he brought it home, three members of his household were badly injured in an auto accident. The house that the businessman lived in suddenly caught fire one one day, when the businessman believed that this was the mummy causing this curse upon his family and his household, he deemed it the unlucky mummy and donated it to the British Museum. This wasn't the end, though. At the museum, staff reported loud banging and crying at night coming from this coffin. At night, there was things being thrown around the exhibit room where Princess Amun-Ra was being shown. There was no explanation for this. One of the watchmen who was taking care of the museum at night, died. A photographer who came to take photographs of the coffin of Princess Amun-Ra killed himself shortly after taking the photographs and having them developed. What these photographs were of, we will never know as they were also destroyed. The mummy was eventually put into storage. 
but even before she was, when they were unloading the mummy, the coffin slipped and crushed a man in between a coffin and a wall, causing him to be incredibly injured. The British Museum also found that this mummy was cursed. They didn't want it any longer, but they were afraid to sell it to anyone for fear of spreading on this curse. However, an American archaeologist didn't believe that the mummy could possibly be doing all of these things, so he asked it to be shipped to him in New York. Can you guess the ship that it was on? You were right if you guessed the Titanic. With this amazing backstory, we realize that this was probably unlikely. There was never any record of a coffin being shipped on the Titanic, though some people did say that perhaps someone had paid for it to be shipped without anyone knowing. But what would have happened to it in the wreckage? Did it go under? No one's ever found remnants of this coffin. And if it had been on a lifeboat, we certainly would have known about it. Interestingly, Bertram Fletcher Robinson had spent months investigating this mummy, but he had died before his work was able to be published. So the coffin of Princess Amun-Ra does exist. The mummy, we're not sure where it is. Uh, and the coffin is mostly just, um, it's like the top board, I think. It is like a, a, a cutout of Princess Amun-Ra, but we don't know where her actual body is. And this does, ac this does still exist in the British Museum. It was never shipped overseas. Whether perhaps her body was separated from her coffin and that part was shipped overseas on the Titanic is possible, but there's no record of it to be found anywhere. So how did this all begin? One month after the Titanic sank, on May 12th, 1912, the Washington Post ran a headline that said, quote, The Ghost of the Titanic, Vengeance of Hoodoo Mummy Followed Man Who Wrote Its History. Passenger William Stead, a British editor of Pall Mall Gazette had spent several past years studying this mummy. I so want to do a full episode on uh, William Stead. He is such a cool guy. And like, I, I couldn't just summarize everything that he had done in this little piece. But anyway, William Stead was a controversial figure. He was a pioneer of investigative journalism. He died in the sinking of the Titanic. Before he died, on that night that the Titanic sank, he had, quote, chatted enthusiastically over an 11-course meal about the mummy curse. He is quoted as having said, I know the story, but I shall never write it. During the sinking, Stead helped several women and children onto lifeboats and gave his life jacket to a woman who didn't have another, who didn't have a life jacket. Throughout Stead's life, he had claimed he would die from a lynching or a drowning. Unfortunately, his body was never recovered. He was seen going down after the lifeboats had left, sadly went underwater. And even more sadder when you remember, he was due to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The mummy that he was talking about that he actually was studying is still in the British Museum, which is still also called the Unlucky Mummy. So what did it actually ship on the Titanic? Most likely not. There's not a lot of evidence to say that it really did ship on the Titanic. But did it cause the curse? Did it make the Titanic sh sink? William Stead was investigating it. He was very determined that there was a long history behind this unlucky mummy, and he never got the chance to talk about it because after this 11-course meal on the Titanic, the Titanic sank. And it wasn't like long after, it was shortly after this meal. It's likely that the Washington Post had ran the headline, Vengeance of Hoodoo Mummy, because it played off the anxiety of colonists who were plundering a land habited by people who didn't want them there. So that is the unlucky mummy curse. 
You can still see the coffin top of Princess Amun-Ra in the British Museum, if you so choose. I don't know if you can right now because of COVID, but it does exist there. It is a real thing. And thank you for listening to my podcast. This was rough. Uh, this was a first episode. I was excited to talk about the Titanic. Tell me what you think about the Titanic. Throw me some comments. Throw me what you think. Was it simply hitting an iceberg that sunk the Titanic? Or was it something else? Maybe it was a mixture of things. Maybe it was everything. We'll never fully know. So thank you guys. If you have your own creepy stories, please send them to telegnosisnt at gmail.com. I'm so happy to read your stories. If there's creepy headlines in your hometown, if there's other true crime things you want to tell me, anything spooky, weird, unusual, creepy, I am going to make a listener's episode of all different things, stories from you guys, and I love reading them. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Telegnosis and Tea. That's all for today, folks. Have an amazing week. Thank you for listening, and stay spooky. Bye!